Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from the Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the in the Pacific Northwest of the most magnificent USA. Today is the 21st of December in the year 2020. That means we're actually at the winter solstice. And I have it from good account that we are going to be um, given a treat tonight in the southwestern sky if you happen to be in the northern hemisphere. And what you're going to see is a conjunction of two planets. One is Jupiter and the other is Saturn. Now, Jupiter and Saturn are actually almost as far away as Jupiter is from us, which is about 500 million miles. But they get a little bit closer than that uh, during certain periods of their elliptical orbits around the sun. And that itself doesn't make much difference to us being able to see what should be in the night sky tonight, um, if it's not cloudy, of course. And we're fortunate here because it's going to be cloudy here, so we're going to get to see it. And what you're going to see is what used to be called, or sometimes it's called, the potential Christmas star, because this particular conjunction where these two planets line up according to our line of vision so far away, they look like one big, bright, um, luminous mass. Now, they're not going to look like the moon, but they're going to look a lot brighter than any of the other celestial bodies out there shining in the southwestern sky. So take a look at that tonight and uh, remind yourself that those are planets that are, again, very, very far away. And isn't it amazing that we know so much about them? So speaking of science, which is how we got to understanding a little bit about the planets, thank you, Galileo, for example, and of course, Copernicus and Ptolemy, um, we're going to be talking about, of course, metabolism in the immune cells. And so that's the the general topic we've been looking at. Remember, we're looking at the immune system because we're um, cohering its activity and its dysbiosis to aging in humans. So this is a general lecture because um, I'm going to give you a little bit of metabolic pathway, which I really enjoy doing because after all, I'm a biochemist and that's something that I really like about biochemistry are metabolic pathways. Particularly one I'm going to talk about tonight, which is lipid metabolism, particularly acylipid, particularly fatty acid synthesis, which is uh, just one of the most interesting pathways that exists, of course. Now, what I want to tell you today is comes from a paper that was published this year in Cell Research, and I'll put this in the show notes. It's volume 30, pages 649 to 659. It's a relatively short paper. Okay, so let's get right into what it says at the uh, introduction. It tells us that distinct T-cell activation states require metabolic programs compatible with their functional demands. <clears throat> Furthermore, I translate from the beginning of this paper that what they are agreeing upon observing in the literature is that the transition between the states is accompanied by an active reprogramming of cellular metabolism. Now, you know that there are transcription factors involved because I have taught this several times in authentic biochemistry, and I put it out on video too. So we talked a lot about the different transcription factors. Of course, what they're going to do is be involved in chromatin remodeling to allow for the expression, that is the messenger RNA transcription or synthesis that eventually will be translated and become polypeptide. 
And that's what we mean about reprogramming cellular metabolism, of course, with those transcription factors working at the beginning of that pathway. So you have naive T lymphocytes, and they rapidly rewire metabolic networks upon activation. And they do so to meet the demands of the clonal expansion, which is about to come, and also a fair amount of epigenetic remodeling, which we've also discussed at some length here in authentic biochemistry. So you've got activated effector T cells, and they express and they engage this, these unique transcription factors for specific differentiation pathways. And part of that differentiation is metabolic differentiation. So aging increases the relative abundance of long-lived memory T cells. Those, of course, are poised to react upon stimulation of the T cell receptor with antigen possession, uh, presentation by a professional APC, a professional antigen-presenting cell, such as a dendritic cell. It's a good classic one to consider. So you have distinct from naive T cells, these memory cells. Now, what are they doing in, in terms of metabolism, the memory cells themselves? They're using glucose, and they engage in what's called aerobic glycolysis because there's plenty of oxygen, yet they maintain glycolytic pathway, uh, even though glycolysis doesn't require oxygen, so we say it's an anaerobic pathway, right? And they do it through the TCA, et cetera, and oxidative phosphorylation. So they do it in spite of having the metabolic machinery to, to run the citric acid cycle, the transport chain, and oxidative phosphorylation, all which are mitochondrial, because T cells indeed have mitochondria. Now, they don't do that to any significant degree at the early stages of T cell activation. I've covered that in the last couple of lectures. Now, remember that if you do run complete aerobic metabolism, you're going to do it in opposition to lactic acid fermentation. So when you have acylipids that are synthesized during the early phases of these pathways where glycolysis is functioning and a modicum of tripocarboxylic acid cycle is functioning, you're actually poised to synthesize fatty acids because you, you can expel citrate from the mitochondrion with a reaction called ATP citrate lyase, you can actually start de novo synthesis of fatty acids and indeed other lipids, particularly cholesterologenesis. So you are poised to do this. So lymphocytes actually synthesize and store triacylglycerol. And they do so since they, they can be compelled to be poised and then uh, become activated when the T cell receptor itself is presented with an APC, MHC, antigen uh, moiety, okay? So a little bit about fatty acid metabolism. It, what a shame, right? I mean, what I'm saying is I'm really happy we can talk about it. So you have two um, opposing, contrary and not necessarily contradictory pathways. You have beta oxidation, which occurs in the mitochondrion. Beta oxidation involves a fatty acyl-CoA, and you have to have FAD, flavonadidine dinucleotide, as an initial electron acceptor. And so as you oxidize the fatty acyl-CoA, you reduce FAD. You then generate an enoyl-CoA, which then is hydrated to a 3 hydroxyacyl coa okay, making an uh, L-beta-hydroxyacyl group. 
as the stereospecificity. And only that moiety then will react with oxidized NAD+. And this NAD+, of course, is acting as an electron acceptor, and you're going to synthesize NADH. So, so far, you've made FADH2, and you've made NADH2. And now you have left, the, the product of those two reactions is beta-ketoacyl-CoA. Now, you react beta-ketoacyl-CoA with another mole of reduced coenzyme A called CoAsh, and you make acetyl-CoA, and the other product is fatty acyl-CoA, now N minus two carbons. So you're synthesizing two unit carbons in the form of acetyl-CoA during the beta oxidation of fatty acids within the mitochondria. Now, in the cytosol, it's quite a different story. It's a totally different pathway. You have a fatty acid synthase. And in most eukaryotes, not in plants, but in most eukaryotes, particularly in animals, indeed in humans, you have a polyprotein FAS. And this polyprotein fatty acid synthase, which I've also done lectures on in ABE and in um, the Vera Med video lectures, so I won't talk much about the FAS system, only to tell you that it is a polyprotein with all of the biosynthetic reactions, the enzymatic activity to conduct fatty acid synthesis from acetyl-CoA. So the way that you, you start with this is that you have, let's say you're chain elongating a fatty acyl, acyl carrier protein, because you're a sterified to acyl carrier protein, which has a phosphopantothiene prosthetic group, it's like the prosthetic group of coenzyme A, but you don't use coenzyme A during fatty acid synthesis because you're bound, the entire fatty acid is going to be synthesized within the polyprotein matrix itself. So it never sees the aqueous environment until you make most commonly palmitic oil ACP and then transfer that palmitic acid, C16 colon O, directly to coenzyme A for further metabolism. So the biosynthesis then, if you think about a preformed fatty acyl ACP, which has a CN uh, number of carbons, you take malleal CoA, which is a three carbon, really important intermediate in fatty acid metabolism and in a lot of other metabolic pathways. Malleal CoA, so you do use CoA esters, of course, because it's all thioester chemistry. And the first reaction then is going to result in the release of free coash carbon dioxide, because you're decarboxylating, and also beta-ketal-ACP. Now, the decarboxylation came off of the biotin, which held this uh, carboxy group after binding it in the acetyl-CoA carboxylase reaction, which precedes and essentially initiates de novo fatty acid synthesis. Now, you've made a beta-ketal-ACP, which you now go ahead and reduce using now NADPH. So the next reaction then, the NADPH is going to be the electron donor because you're doing a reductive biosynthesis. And you're going to uh, generate a D-beta-hydroxyacyl group. And if, indeed, you're going to generate 3-D-hydroxyacyl ACP. Chain length is now uh, increased by two carbons, right? Now you're going to dehydrate and an intermediate is going to look just like the intermediate beta oxidation. It's going to be an enoyl, but not an enoyl-CoA, but an enoyl acyl carrier protein. Again, this is all happening on the, uh, the backbone of the fatty acid synthase complex, which is cytosolic, again, in 
mammals. Uh, then you do one more reduction. NADPH, again, is the electron donor. And then you generate a fatty acyl ACP with CN plus two. So you've added two carbons and it's fully reduced because you've done, you, you've, you've conducted, carried out, performed those two reductions, both of which we're using NADPH. Okay. So you have this phosphophantothein group, which has a cystamine end, which is an SH group. And then you have two CH2 groups, and then you have a nitrogen atom bound to a, car a carbonyl, actually a keto function. Then you have two more CH2s, and then ultimately another nitrogen. And then uh, at the other end of the molecule, I'm skipping on here for this phosphopentathene prosthetic group, because you don't need to know those uh, other carbons and where they fit exactly right now, but you will later. The other end of the molecule has a phosphate ester. The phosphate ester has uh, a methyl, methylene group, which is uh, bound to serine ACP. And the serine hydroxyl group is making the thioester there. So that's the protein version of the phosphopentathene. The phosphopentathene of CoA, the only distinction there is that you have a diphosphate there. So you have basically a, a adenosine diphosphate bound directly to that uh, methylene group. Other than that, it almost looks identical. Uh, so you, and then of course the adenine group makes it then what? A purine nucleotide. Coenzyme A is a purine nucleotide by definition. Okay. So think about now things working in the event mode. Glycolysis is going to generate NADH and it's going to generate pyruvate. Pyruvate is going to move through a carboxylic carrier into the mitochondrial matrix. Pyruvate will be used to make acetyl-CoA via the pyruvate dehydrogenase enzyme we've talked a great deal about recently. And via pyruvate carboxylase is going to make oxaloacetic acid. Now that you've got OAA and acetyl-CoA, those are, those are the two substrates for the initial reaction of TCA cycle called, of course, citrate synthase. Now you've made citrate. So as pyruvate moves in, citrate leaves. Now the reason that citrate leaves and the TCA cycle isn't completed during de novo fatty acid synthesis is because the NADH levels are high. So because of that, the dehydrogenases in the TCA cycle shut down because they function according to the ratio, right, of NADH to NAD. So when that ratio gets too high, the NADH acts as an inhibitor of the dehydrogenases, right? And that happens when you have adequate amounts of NADH. And you're going to have adequate amounts of that during biosynthesis, right? So these cells, just like the T lymphocyte, follow, me along, follow along here with me. The T lymphocyte, when it's going to start making fatty acids, is not in the business of needing a lot of ATP yet. Is in the business of synthesizing fatty acids because it's carrying out glycolysis. Glycolysis is taking care of all of its energetic need, right? So follow me through here. You get citrate now back in the cytosol. It meets up with the enzyme ATP citrate lyase, as I suggested to you, which is going to take ATP, hydrolyze it to ADP and PI to be able to break that same molecule again to its substrate components, acetyl-CoA and OAA, but now in the cytoplasm. The acetyl-CoA will be used to synthesize fatty acids after the acetyl-CoA carboxylase reaction, and then those ones I just told you about. 
And then the OAA will be converted to malic acid so that you're taking the NADH that's made from glycolysis and converted to NAD. This is yet another way to recycle NAD. So malate dehydrogenase cytosolic, when it's working in the reverse reaction, OAA to malate, it's going to give you NAD to run what? That's right, the glycerol-3-phosphate dehydrogenase glycolysis so you can keep functioning. Yep, good. Now the malate, we're not done yet. The malate, though, is going to be decarboxylated, right? And it's also going to be oxidized. It's going to be oxidized to pyruvic acid. So that's carried out by the really important enzyme called the malic enzyme. So the malic enzyme is a decarboxylating, right? And it oxidase, right? So it's going to oxidize the malate to pyruvate, and then pyruvate can move back into the mitochondria, right? So that's what's going to happen there. Now, what else did you make? You took NADP and made it NADPH. That NADPH from malic enzyme is going to be used for? That's right. De novo fatty acid synthesis. Remember all the NADPH you required in the de novo fatty acid synthesis pathway that I just gave you a brief sketch about. Okay. Now let's move on here. So the real rate limiting step, the true rate limiting step, for genoma fatty acid synthesis is the acetyl-CoA carboxylase. That takes acetyl-CoA bicarbonate, okay, that, which is basically the hydration of CO2 from the atmosphere, and ATP, and the reaction is going to then synthesize, the synthetic reaction will make malonyl-CoA, a mole of water, and then ADP and PI to drive the reaction. Now you're gonna have a carboxy biotin intermediate there, and that's where biotin uh, functions, one of the places it functions in the cell for this all-important enzyme, the acetyl-CoA carboxylase. In fact, its discovery, biotin's discovery um, uh, by Salih Wakil back in the late 50s, uh, basically opened up finally our understanding that metabolic pathways differ from biosynthesis and degradation, or anabolic to catabolic. Because we knew about the beta oxidation of fatty acids using radio tracers. Then we're trying to put together de novo fatty acid synthesis, realized, for one thing, it's compartmentalized the eukaryotic cell, the, the animal eukaryotic cell, outside of the mitochondria. That's number one. Metabolic zonation, don't you know? But also that it's a totally different enzymatic complex. It's a fatty acid synthase not the soluble excrete enzymes in the mitosol for the beta oxidation of fatty acids. So those are two things that were discovered by Wakil's lab down in, I think it was in Texas at the time. So marvelous biochemist, marvelous biochemistry uh, in lipid metabolism. So just real briefly about the carboxylase. I told you that it had this biotin functional group. Now, when I do the mechanism, I do it with slides where you can see it. So all I'm gonna tell you is you have an enzyme biotin complex it's going to pick up hydrated CO2 from the uh, medium, and it's going to take, take that bicarbonate, ATP, and it's going to make an enzyme biotin, um, essentially a carbanion or a carboxybiotinyl enzyme complex. So you're going to have a CO2 minus, and then that's going to react with the acetyl-CoA, and you're going to make malonyl-CoA, right? And so malonyl-CoA then is going to be this three-carbon, um, really important initiating molecule for fatty acid synthesis. And the rest of the product is going to be the enzyme biotech complex 
fully refurbished and ready to pick up another molecule of uh, bicarbonate. And that's how that functions. So the rest of the reactions kind of, I, I don't wanna go too quickly through them, but I wanna make sure that you understand where we're coming from here. Acetyl-CoA first reacts with, and this is now the de novo fatty acid synthesis pathway. Acetyl-CoA reacts with um, the enzyme malonylacetyl-CoA ACP transacylase. So that enzyme is going to take the acetate from the thioester of coenzyme A and essentially redistribute it to the thioester, the same phosphopantothene prosthetic group that's localized on the end of the acyl carrier protein, which is embedded in the fatty acid synthesis. Now, at the same time, okay, now, now of course, th that's going to, that, that will rig up the initial phase of the reaction. It's going to make acetyl ACP. At the same time, the malonyl CoA that we made from acetylcocarboxylase, right, is going to react with, again, a, an ACP that's embedded in the FAS complex. And you're going to do the same thing. You're going to carry out a malonyl acetyl-CoA ACP transacylase reaction. Okay. And what you're, what you're going to get then is malonyl ACP. Okay. So the malonyl ACP is going to condense with the acetyl ACP because you're in the a ACP backbone. Now you might ask, so are there two ACPs? Yes, because this is a dimer. So the fatty acid synthase has, uh, it, it's, it's exactly a homodimer where it carries out the same series of reactions, actually head to tail, so that the one reaction follows another. And it's almost like a ping pong moving the substrate along within the globular structure of the fatty acid synthase. So that at the end, you end up making palmitate after the thioesterase reaction, passing water over the thioester bond. Now, why is that important? Because you're increasing carbon length as you're making a fatty acids. And every time you add two carbons to it, what are you doing? You're reducing the solubility to water. But remember, during the synthesis, you're at a thioester, at the level of a thioester. So let me go back a step here. Or let, me, let me tell you what the step is that I left you off at by this little interlude I gave you. Acetyl ACP and malonyl ACP are condensed by the beta ketoacyl acyl ACP synthase reaction. And that generates for you because you lost, you lose carbon dioxide. Remember I told you that in the last slide, two slides ago maybe. So this is decarboxylating uh, that synthase. That's going to drive the reaction, by the way. And you're going to make acetoacetyl ACP. Then you're going to carry out that reduction by the beta ketoacyl acyl ACP reductase. That's the KR enzyme, it's called. By the way, the beta ketoacyl acyl ACP synthase is called KS. So then you're going to make the D beta hydroxybutyryl ACP, it's four carbon compound now, still a sterified acyl carrier protein via the phosphopentathione thioester functional group. That's why these are called acyl lipids. These are thioesters. And so you have this radical form there at that carbonyl, and it's a radical associated with a sulfur atom. So it's a thioester acyl group. The next reaction is going to be now a dehydration. It's going to be conducted by beta hydroxyacyl ACP dehydrase. That's called DH. Now you've made an alpha beta transbutenoyl ACP. So you have a double bond now. And in the, in the structure of the compound, according to where 
two protons are located on either side of that double bond are in trans configuration. And that's necessary for the very next reaction called the Enol ACP reductase or ER. And that's where you use the second mole of NADPH. Now you've made butyryl ACP. That's four carbon fully saturated growing fatty acid. In fact, butyric acid is one of the original fatty acids discovered way back at the time of Pasteur. And those were called volatile fatty acids or VFAs, right? So anyways, butyryl ACP, you go through that same series of reactions I just went through, the beta-ketyl ACP synthase, the beta-ketyl ACP, ACP reductase, the beta-hydroxyacyl ACP dehydrase, and then the second enoyl ACP reductase. Do that seven times because you're adding two carbons at a time. Now you're at a four, so seven more times. It's going to add the, the, the number of carbons necessary to make a 16 carbon fully saturated fatty acid, palmitic acid, still esterified to the phosphobenzene thioester, functional group on acyl carrier protein. Then you got to pass water over that bond, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, and, you, and that's the palmitic thioesterase, the TE, and you're going to make palmitic acid and free, now reduced, SHACP to make another round to start the reaction over again. Okay, so that is a key feature of fatty acid synthesis is this acyl carrier protein. Now, the reason I like to bring it up, uh, not just because it's a really interesting way to conduct biosynthesis using a thioester on the backbone of a protein. So this ACP is a real small, actually very acidic protein when you isolate it in free form from plants or from bacteria. The reason I like to talk about these reactions, that was my one of my initial phases, phases as a postdoc to study acyl carrier protein, particularly the malonychoase B-transacylase, which functions a little bit differently in plants as it does in uh, animals. But basically, it, it carries out the same reaction, it takes malonychoase and makes malonychoase. Only in plants, um, you have soluble discrete enzymes which carry out fatty acid synthesis, and they're not in the cytosol, they're in the chloroplast. So that's interesting. You still have metabolic zonation, but... Do you know what fatty acids is in the chloroplast, whereas it's in the cytosol and it's a polyprotein in animal cells? But beta oxidation still both occurs primarily. You also have the peroxisome carrying out uh, some oxida beta oxidation as well, um, which, we, which we've talked a lot about in, in uh, authentic biochemistry, but that's not what I'm talking about here. The, the basic mitochondrial function amongst all the other things it does, like the TCA cycle and the transport chain and oxidative phosphorylation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It also does this beta oxidation, right? Okay, so that's a key feature of all this, really important biosynthetic pathways. So let's stop there because I think I'm just about out of time. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of minutes. So I think I, think I am gonna stop here because why am I telling you all this about fatty acid synthesis? This is happening in the T lymphocyte during the early stages of T cell receptor activation. That's happening in all kinds of other cells too, such as the liver and the lungs and the muscle, et cetera. So, you know, all these places we talk about all the time. But we're keying in now on the cells that are in circulation, particularly T lymphocytes. I tell you that the TCR is activated by an APC holding an MHC antigen to trigger the TCR receptor that has already been educated not to be triggered by self-antigens, remember, okay? Clonal selection, right? 
uh, after the recombination to synthesize the, the T cell receptor and all that. And then remember, we're going to have a co-acceptor molecule when the CD uh, moieties, and that's going to help turn the T cell on. And yes, we're really on. So you're going to have two different systems functioning in that level for T cell activation. But remember, during that phase when you're glycolytic and you're you're holding down by inhibiting the pyruvate dehydrogenase and you're doing some lactic acid fermentation, you're making enough energy to keep the cell going because it's not dividing or anything, but it's still able because of that pathway, the shuttles I told you about, it's, it's able to synthesize fatty acids because that's what its business is. So storing triacylglycerol, getting ready for the big energetic requirement that's going to come down soon as you start doing what? Making pro-inflammatory, if this is a pro-inflammatory cell, like a T effector, you know, uh, such as TH1, TH2, TH17 cell. Um, you got to be making a lot of pro-inflammatory, you got to do a lot of tra transcription, translation, you need a lot of energy for that. And you need, you need to have uh, all of that reservoir of uh, bio biologically usable carbon that's going to be in the form of intracellular triacylglycerol. That's why you need the fatty acid synthesis. Okay, so perfect reason to stop. This is Dr. Dan Guerra on again the winter solstice, the twenty first of December, twenty twenty. Go out and watch that conjugation of Saturn and Jupiter if you can. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry saying bye for now. <laughs>